This is episode 380 of the 200 Churches Podcast. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a legit episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now, here are two guys who have been encouraging thousands of pastors all around the world, good friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. Hey, this won't be the most off-the-wall 200 Churches episode you've ever heard, or maybe it will be. Hey, welcome, my friend. This is the 200 Churches Podcast, and today I want to talk to you about the Coaching for Pastors Podcast. The Coaching for Pastors Podcast is a Monday through Saturday podcast. Yeah, that's right. Six episodes a week, specifically and solely for pastors and church leaders. Now, I want to give you a sample of this past week on episode 55. The title of this episode, which is only eight minutes and 40 seconds long, is Might Your Kids Need Just a Little More? Because once a week we talk about family. We talk about balancing family and ministry. We talk about all kinds of family dynamics for those who are in ministry. And here's a sample of what you would have missed this past week were you not subscribed to the Coaching for Pastors podcast. And then... And then I'm going to show you a sample of a recent weekend edition episode of the Coaching for Pastors podcast, which are long play episodes. Those are anywhere from 45 minutes over to over an hour, and they are on Saturdays. So Monday through Friday, you've got the short under 10-minute episodes. And on the weekends, on Saturdays, you've got the weekend edition, which is a long play conversation with a guest who's going to bring you some coaching and some insight into ministry. But right now, hey, here's the sample from episode 55. This is episode 55 of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. Hey, Pastor, thank you for joining me today. Today's Wednesday, and I want to talk to you about family. And I'm really glad that you're taking the time. I've got just a couple of minutes with you, and I want to make it so worth your while. And then uh, I'll be off, and you'll be off for the day. But today I want, to, I, I want to talk about family, and I wonder if you, like me, are experiencing a schedule that's kind of spinning out of control. And you're waiting until you get your schedule or your goals or your priorities back in order before you take the time that you know is needed to spend with your kids. I want to talk about mostly today your kids. Maybe you've got this meandering task list that's just rolling off the end of your desk and you're waiting until it gets a little shorter before you direct your attention to that issue at home or that challenge with one of your kids, or that maybe that special weekend with your husband or wife that you know you need, or that home improvement project that your spouse has been asking you to help them with. Maybe, just maybe, my friend, it's time to turn your attention toward home. And maybe the very first priority is to decide to ignore all the other so-called priorities and focus on the home fires before one begins to burn out of control. And I, I want you to think about your kids for a minute. The one or the ones who might be at that, maybe that in-between stage of something. You know, whether it's in between elementary school and junior high or, or between middle school 
and high school, or maybe they're between moving from one school at a physical location to another. Maybe maybe you guys have just moved, you've changed your ministry. Certainly we're in between in terms of coming out of COVID and getting back to more normal life. And they might be experiencing confusion about their spot in life right now, your kids, or, or maybe some insecurity at school with their grades because maybe they've gotten behind. Uh, because of COVID, or or their rank on the team. You know, if your child's an athlete, whether they tell you or not, this is the situation of their athleticism, their 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 rank on the team, their spot on the team can, can really just uh, control their mind. Or maybe it's their acceptance or their lack of acceptance with their friends. And my friend, maybe they'd never admit it to you but if they were to spill the beans, they would tell you that they're scared. Maybe they're a little worried or anxious. And they could really, at this moment, benefit from a mom or a dad who would take the time necessary to coax out of them a meaningful conversation. And maybe it's not a quick talk, but it will require a couple hours in a car ride or several hours in a bike ride, or several more hours and a hike, or a few more hours and a ride in the canoe, or or whatever it is that you do. And and in this post-COVID era, we can be, as ministry leaders, so fixated on getting things back up and running in our ministries, or it's whatever era we're in, right? I mean, it's never calm anymore. There's always the next thing, and we're, we're always busy, and the schedule is always full, so that we're, we're not noticing that our kids are having a hard time, maybe re-engaging their world too now post-COVID, or, or just re-engaging uh, a, a new reality because they're uh, what they call tweeners. You know, they're, they're in between one thing or another. But you know what? I remember my kids telling me about some of their struggles years later. We moved from eastern New York State all the way out to northwest Iowa, almost halfway across the country. And my daughter had just finished 10th grade. My one son had just finished 8th grade. My other son was getting ready to finish 5th grade. And then my other son was was just a little kid in kindergarten. But my older kids, they seemed at the time to me to be remarkably resilient. And the transition, just in my rose-colored glasses mind, it went off without a hitch. But later on, later on they told me of the nights that made they maybe they cried themselves to sleep a little bit because the transition was hard on them. I mean, they did fine. They made it through. They, they, uh, they muscled through it, and, and, and they were very successful. But, but there were times I remember thinking that uh, they, I wasn't, I wasn't walking with them through the difficulties of their life, and and so maybe you've got some kids at home, and and I just want to say to you, you, you know, you you're a good parent, you're, you're doing just fine, and and it's not you, but maybe they're going through something right now that they wouldn't ask you for help with, but if you were to take a little time and. In a, in a gentle, in a, in a not a coercive or confrontational way, but just kind of walk alongside them in an activity or something that you could do together and just kind of pry a little bit. 
you know, how are you doing? How are things going? How's things on the team? How's school going? What's your, what's your favorite subject? Hey, do, are you enjoying your friend group right now? Have you made any new friends lately? Are there any problems with your friends? How are you feeling these days? You know, there's a man, there's a lot of stuff with anxiety and emotions, uh, eating disorders, sleeplessness. You know, all these things are going on. And the, the classic thing is for a pastor to think, oh no, my family is just fine. So I could talk about a lot of things, you know, at, at home from, you know, fix me up projects to your relationship with your spouse to, to finances, to extended family, whatever it is. But just today, I just wanted to mention your kids because maybe you've been busy and they've been in your peripheral vision and it's, they're doing fine. But maybe you don't want them to do just fine. Maybe there's one in particular that you feel like, yeah, yeah, now that I think about it, maybe I should spend, then spend a little more time. If you're even wondering, I'm going to encourage you, go for it invest, uh, commit, and spend some time with them. And you know what? Let other stuff just drop because nothing, nothing is more important than you as a dad inputting into your child's life or you as a mom being there for your kid when they need you at a time when they wouldn't ask and they may not even know to ask. But you get to be there for them and help them through something because there were also times when my kids said, hey, when you walk with me through that time, that was really helpful. I don't remember those comments as much as quickly. I mean, they happened now that I think about them. But boy, I remember the ones where they say, yeah, I I cried myself to sleep several nights during that time. And I feel like, man, I, I, I wish... I wish I would have been there to walk alongside with them a little more closely. So just some thoughts today, Pastor, on your kids and you as a mom or a dad. And I just want to encourage you to go for it. Go for it. You will never regret the investment that you put in your children. So thank you. Thanks for joining me today. I I love being with you uh, Monday through Friday. It's a blast for me, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. And I'll see you tomorrow on the Coaching for Pastors podcast. So there you go, my friend. That was episode 55. And now... This is what you would have missed just recently uh, were you not subscribed to the Coaching for Pastors podcast. This is the fourth weekend edition episode, which aired on April the 30th of 2022. The title of it is, Why Are Most Churches Not Attractive to Lost People? Here it is as it was played on April 30th. Jesus never changed his focus. His mission was the same, to seek and save the lost. Jesus said he did not come to ser- to be served, but to serve. His mission never changed. Too many of us change our mission as churches. And once we have a decent collection of believers, we are more passionate about keeping the people we have than reaching the people who God has placed around us in the community who are lost. Welcome, my friends. This is the weekend edition of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. That's right, my friends. This is 
the weekend edition of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. It's like a party. It's like a party every Saturday for pastors. Today is, I don't know how much of a party it is, though, because it's a little bit serious. So today we have Rob Tarnavisky on the podcast for the weekend edition, number four. In fact, there's been four Saturday editions of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. Rob is the senior pastor, the lead pastor at Bethel Church in Philadelphia Mills in Northeast Philadelphia. He has been there on Easter. It has been 26 years that he has led that church, and it's been it's been an amazingly wonderful and at times an amazingly painful, pastors, you understand that, uh, ride for him the last 26 years. Rob and I, uh, back in the uh, 80s, were uh, roommates in uh, Bible college together. We got, we've, we've known each other from the beginning. And uh, it's just, it's, it's so wonderful for me to have watched him over the years. And now, uh, just before I'm uh, recording this intro, I sat and listened to about 15 minutes of one of his messages. And, you know, he's just a schmuck that I roomed with. But I listened to the guy because he feeds me. He feeds me. Uh, even though we've known each other just about 40 years now. And it's, it's just, he's the real deal. He's, it's a fantastic relationship that we have. But I asked him to come on because he gets the ministry. He gets pastoring. He, in his heart, his heart is for lost people. That is, he is a broken record on reaching lost people. But he doesn't neglect to disciple believers in his church. He's been at it for 26 years. And so he's got this, he's got this great, um, it's like Jesus, you know, 100% God, 100% man. Rob doesn't 50-50 this, you know, oh, discipleship with, with uh, you know, church people and some evangelism with lost people. No, he's, he, t- he tries to do a, he lives out 100% of each, and I've watched him do that. So I had a conversation with him, and I wanted to talk to him about the top reasons why churches are not attracting lost people. And honestly, as we talked, I'm looking inward, pastors. I'm looking, I'm saying, oh my goodness, this church that he's describing, this is so much like my church. But as he continues to talk, he talks about pushing that boulder up the hill. We're all pushing the boulder up the hill. And and it's and I'll let him share that. It, it's a great picture because I think that I think that all of us can say, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. And sometimes you just need to hear another pastor describe exactly what it's like for you to be convinced that you're not crazy. So let me get right to it. Here's my conversation with Rob Tarnavisky from Bethel Church in Philadelphia Mills. Rob, I know you haven't been listening because I didn't share it with you, but welcome to the Coaching for Pastors podcast. Before you ever listen, you're a guest. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And thanks for finally letting me know about your podcast 50 episodes in. As as your best friend, I want you to know how good that makes me feel. So I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want everybody to know that, no, he didn't twist my arm to be a guest on the show because I... How could I? Because I didn't even know about it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Rob, I have been wanting to talk to you on this podcast for... Well, at least the seven or eight or 10 weeks that I've been doing it. But Rob, I wanted to talk to you about the, the, the top reasons your church is not attracting lost people. 
and how to fix it. And I, th- I thought about you because this has been your bread and butter. This has been your mainstay of your ministry for, for, for at least the last 20 years, if not also the first five at your church. Uh, you live and breathe this stuff. Are you ready to talk about that? Why the church is not attracting lost people? I, I, I'm happy to talk about it. I, you know that I get passionate just a little about this. And, um, you know, when you first sent me the info for this, I thought back to, I think it was soon after I was called to be the pastor at the church that I'm now, I'm still at Bethel, you know, 25 plus years ago and an area pastor. We're, we're in, we're in Philadelphia. And one of the pastors that I knew at the time was not far maybe five minutes from where we were located. And he said, Hey, Rob, I want to take you out to lunch and welcome you. And so we went out to lunch together and, um, you know, it was just a nice lunch that we had. And at what point, one point during the lunch, he says, and brother, let me give you the best advice I can give you as a pastor. Now he had probably been in the pastorate for 20 years already, maybe a little bit more. So he had a lot of experience and, and I'm sitting up and I'm like, okay, cool. I am just now I'm almost just about to turn 30. So I'm young and this is my first pastorate. And he looks to me and he says, the people you need to focus on are your big givers. He says, you have to know who they are. And you have to focus on them. And he says, a lot of people are going to tell you to focus on other people or people who aren't in your church yet. But I'm telling you, the only way to have longevity in ministry is to focus on your top givers and make sure you know who they are. Make sure they're happy. Make sure you're spending time with them, that you're listening with them or to them. And that's the advice that I can give you as a pastor who's just getting started. What did you think of that advice at the time? Listen, if (laughs) this guy wasn't a family friend of ours, and not just me, you know, my, my family at large, I would have had, I think, a lot more choice words to say to him. At the time, I just sort of took that advice and I just sat there and listened. I tried to be, you know, I was respectful to him. He was an elder. I knew in my spirit it was wrong. I knew it was. But listen, I was just getting started, Jeff. I just was getting started. I was brand new. And I did not have any idea. You know, I came away from that lunch thinking, I cannot for the life of me imagine why any pastor would ever tell another pastor that. That's how naive I was. But what I realized years into ministry is I think a lot of pastors, I think most pastors have the same mindset. We focus on those who are already in church or we focus on the top givers. And it's not, you know, because we're evil. It's not because we're we're trying to kowtow to the big givers, but it's survival. We know that churches need money to survive. It pays my salary. It pays the salary of the, of the staff. We know churches require volunteers to survive. We know all of that. And who provides that for us in the church? 
it's the Christians, it's the longtime attenders, and many of the longtime attenders are going to be your top givers. And so what he's saying is, don't neglect those people because they pay, play a vital role in your ministry and in your longevity. And he is so, he's so right. How, how, do you remember how his ministry turned out after that? It, you know, it had its, its ups and downs. It was a, listen, the, the typical church in America is, you know, under 150. You, you know those stats. You, you share those stats all the yeah, time. Now well under 100. It's yeah, now well okay, but I'm saying, but at the time, you know, it was always under 200. And, you know, his ministry was just one that always hovered around those numbers. And he maintained that for years. And he was in many ways a faithful pastor and he loved his people and he had that type of ministry. But I got to tell you something, very, 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 very few people. And, and I can say this because I tracked his ministry over the years. Very, very, very few people came to saving faith at that church, were baptized at that church and grew over the years at that church. His church was one like so many churches across America today, churches that collect disgruntled Christians from other churches or collect people who move into the area and are looking for a church. And so many of our churches are building, are growing that way. And that's what his church was. And I just knew that what God had put in my heart was to do something very different. I could not do that. And that's really what started my journey for me, you know, almost 26 years ago. I just could not fall into line and just focus on keeping the people that were already there when there were so many lost people all around us. How were they going to hear? Okay, so Rob, let me stop you right there and say that uh, the vast majority of uh, those listening to you right now are in those kinds of churches. You describe this guy as a faithful pastor. Yep. Um, good guy. He loved in many his ways. Good guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's no like, there's no indictment there. No. Particularly, but you're talking about an endemic philosophy, uh, pervasive throughout our church culture. And I, connect with some of what you just said in that I have a larger church. We do collect people that move in from out of town. We do collect once in a while, not so much, but people that want to come. I mean, that's just, if you've got any size of a church at all, you're going to collect people that go from one church to another. Oh, exactly. Um, exactly. So I guess what I'm and, saying and Jeff, is listen, why, I'm, why should I'm somebody not- just say, no, I can't listen to this. I guess I'm one of those and I'm probably not going to change. Because, you know, because when Jesus said his mission was to seek and save the lost. And when Jesus said the servant is not greater than the master, why should our mission be any different than his? If we're the servants that he was referring to and saying that we're not better than the master, then we need to be about the business that Jesus was about. And, but and for to the, me, I just... For the pastor who's been in it for a while and feels like isn't that what I I mean Jesus was in it. Jesus Jesus's focus never changed. Jesus was building the foundation of the church, 
but his mission was to seek and save the lost. His focus never changed. His mission never changed. But what happens is, is pastors get into churches and they have the passion, the zeal to reach the community, to see people come to Christ. And, and they're willing to do all sorts of things to have the church connect with the community around them and to make it the church a welcoming place for the unbeliever to come in. And it's a safe place for them to start to learn about Jesus. But as it begins to grow, too many of us, we change our focus. And now the focus doesn't become on reaching the people around us. Like Jesus, Jesus never changed his focus. His mission was the same, to seek and save the lost. Jesus said he did not come to to be served, but to serve. His mission never changed. Too many of us change our mission as churches. And once we have a decent collection of believers, we are more passionate about keeping the people we have than reaching the people who God has placed around us in the community who are lost. Okay, so if we're looking for top reasons, the first reason was that we're just not adopting the mission that Jesus adopted, coming to seek and save the lost. We've we've gone to some other mission at some point. I think that's true of many of many pastors, many churches. Um, something you, happens. You say that along more sadly. You say that more sadly than accusatorily. I, I do because. I, you know, as I interact with pastors, I see it in pastors, I hear it in pastors and pastors realize that if you're going as a church to say, we're going to focus on the people who aren't here, we're going to focus on reaching and not keeping. That is an uphill battle. That's an uphill battle. And it is a grueling battle to fight. You are always pushing. You know, it's like you're pushing that boulder uphill constantly. And it is a hard thing to convince Christians that this is not about them, that we are on a mission to reach the world. You know, when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, it's hard to convince Christians that it's not about them. So we want the church to be about us. We want we want the service to be about us, what we want, the music we want, the teaching style we want. We want kids' classes, youth, to be about what we want for our kids. And what we've done is we flipped the script, script, forgetting that at one point we were the unbeliever. We didn't know about Jesus. We had questions about Jesus. And when the church welcomes us in, and gives us a safe place to ask questions and to have our questions answered and to be messy, right? And we're discovering who Jesus is. And we cross that line of faith. And as we start to grow, we see the importance of growing. And what we do is we want the church to change what it did when it attracted me and brought me in and I got saved. And now we want the church to focus on me and people like me because there's a lot more of us. And we want it to be about us. We want to be fed. We want to be challenged. We want everything to help us grow. And we lose our focus along the way that Jesus never changed his mission. His mission was to seek and save the lost. So you and said that you said that this is like pushing a boulder uphill. Is. I mean, you've been at your church for 25 years. It, 
have you ever got to the top of the hill where then the boulder will just roll on its own and pick up momentum? No. No? No. Nope. It's been a battle for 25 years. For for you to convince your church that it's about the people who aren't there yet? Absolutely. Okay. It's It's a theme that I remind our church of consistently. As a church, we have four core values. The first one and the one that I probably recite more often than any other, um, our, our first core value is the most important person is the one who isn't here yet. And we have that plastered in our lobby. <laughs> so we try to remind our people all the time, we love you. We love those who attend our church and we love doing life with them. And, and we call our, you know, the Bethel family, welcome to church. We, we love you, Bethel family. All of that is true. We, we love those people, but it isn't about them. It's, it's not about them. God brought us together because as we continue to reach the lost people around us, as we continue to be a place that invites the lost to come in, God's going to grow us and stretch us in all sorts of ways. And that's what he's calling us to do. And, you know, over the years, people get excited about that. But so often what happens is Christians get to a point in their life where they just say, you know what, I'm weary of this. It's hard. And um, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to go somewhere else. And they want to go somewhere else where they are the focus. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. and we've, over the years, we're, we're consistently, I, I know every, every church sees this, but we've consistently seen people just say, you know what, I've done this enough. Um, I do want to go somewhere where it's more about me and what I want. And I'm not constantly asking the question, how can we better connect with the people who are all around us who are lost and on their way to hell? How can we introduce them to Jesus? How can we make this a place that welcomes them and that invites them in? And it just, it's tiring, Jeff. It's just tiring. We're constantly pushing that uphill. Is there is there a sense that when you say the most important, does that push it too far? When when we don't say that there's any importance to the ones that are there, I mean, we know but that that's there not is. what we're saying. But not, that's not I know, what Jesus. I know, but, but that's not I what Jesus you. said when when Jesus said he came his, he came to seek and save the lost. He didn't say that the found were not important. He simply stated his mission was to seek and save the lost. That always ruffles feathers. And if you don't believe that, look at the story he tells of the lost son, the prodigal son. The son who got the most anger or angry when his brother returned was the one who never left and said, why isn't it about me? You didn't throw me a party. You never gave me the fattened calf. You should preach that That, passage sometime, and then your church maybe will then understand it, and it won't be uphill anymore. But see, but but Jesus (laughs) is telling us that's what it's like. We yeah. want it to be about us. You know, it's the, it's the parable Jesus tells of the workers who were hired at the beginning of the day. And then they need more workers. So the boss goes out and hires more. And then it's it's mid-afternoon and the job's still not getting done. And they go out and bring in more. And at the end of the day, everybody gets the same pay. And the ones who were there all day say, this isn't fair. 
See, we, we want it to be about us. And I just keep going back to Jesus's mission so you can save the lost. And we, we live in a world that's lost. We, we live in a world that increasingly people look at the church as being disconnected, as being hate-filled, as being judgmental. And Jesus had crowds that followed him. Jesus is the one who would go out of his way to be with sinners, to eat with them. Back then, that was scandalous. They, they called Jesus a friend of sinners. That was scandalous. And, and all I'm saying is if Jesus set that example for us, shouldn't we as a church have that heart? Shouldn't we as a church have that passion in us that says to us, it isn't about us. We were each celebrated when we crossed that line of faith. Heaven celebrated for us. But the real celebration is when we get to heaven. And we will be able to say to Jesus, we were doing your work. We were, we were completing your mission that you started. And I will have all of eternity to see the folks who were there that we had a small part in helping them connect and link to Jesus. That's when it's going to be about us, where we get to rejoice for all of eternity. And so that's the struggle, Jeff. It's it goes against our human nature. We we want it to be about us. We really do. And hey, look at the disciples. The disciples argued amongst themselves who would be at the right and left hand of Jesus. So it goes all the way back to that. You sound like you get tired of pushing the boulder up the hill. It, it, it's tiring. It, it just is. Listen, and and I don't I don't mean this in a derogatory way. You know me. I'm from Philly. I always say that I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. And, you know, we just, we shoot straight. It is a whole lot easier to build a church that focuses on keeping Christians than it is to build a church that focuses on reaching the lost. It's easier. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not, I'm not saying that to offend anybody, but it just is. Because if I take the advice of that pastor, when I first came, who tells me over lunch, my best advice to you is focus on your top givers then I'm making them happy. I'm building a service and structure the way they want it to be that makes them happy or that just keeps them content because the money keeps coming in through offerings. Christians are the ones who serve, who serve sacrificially, who give sacrificially. And so our church needs money. Our church needs volunteers. And by focusing on Christians who are already there, we keep the income stream and the serving stream healthy. That's a good thing. It's okay if we don't see a lot of people saved. It's okay if we look around on any given Sunday and we don't see unsaved people there. It's okay if we don't have a ton of baptisms annually because we say we're helping Christians grow. And that's a great thing. But what about the mission Jesus had? What about the mission Jesus gave us before he ascended to heaven to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit? It's the new people coming in. How, how are we doing as a church? And I don't know what the latest stats are. The, the pandemic messed all that up. But prior to the pandemic, you, you know the stats for the number of new believers in a typical church in America or the number of baptisms in a typical church in America annually. It's not very high, Jeff. It's not very high. Yeah. And I, I feel like we've lost our way. And 
God just, I don't know, he's, he's just given me that passion. There are lost people all around us. And who's chained, who's help, who's targeting them? Who's going after them? Who's going after the one? You know, in, in Luke 15, 99 sheep are safe, but the one. And Jesus goes after the one. And I feel like we are content with the 99. We're content with the 99. We really are. We are content. And if we as pastors, every man, every woman who's listening, if we're really honest, we are content with the 99. We'll take the one as a loss because we have 99. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Go after the one. Rob, I don't so feel so good when you talk to me. I don't feel good. No, I want to feel good, and I feel bad. Yeah. So listen, listen, and by <laughs> so it, anyway, so you asked no, him, but this, but, so the, but this is why this is why I wanted you to come on because I, I mean, you and I, lifelong friends, right? And yes, sir. Then and you're you're getting to me and poking at the deepest part of my heart, not just even as a pastor, but as a person. And I feel like I talk about this a lot in my church. And yet I still I just feel the, uh, not con- not so much conviction, but the burden of, sure. you know, sure. you lead it, you lead a group of people and it's hard. It is hard. And what, it's and hard. I, I've said before, I don't like to be one of these, you know, oh, woe is me. Oh, this is so hard. Oh, pastors, it's such a rough no, job. No, exactly. But, exactly. But, we, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's the job, there's the job, but then there's, but then there's the calling and the mission. And that's something that we really, whether we try to or not, we, we never really have the option of walking away from the mission. And uh, if this is a, podcast that helps to coach pastors, you're making a good coach right now because coaches inspire, right? They, they push us to be our best. They point out the areas that we need to get better in. We're talking about reasons why churches don't attract non-believers. And you said, you know, we don't have the mission that Jesus gave us to seek and save the lost. We also focus on keeping instead of reaching. And let's just talk about a couple other reasons you think, uh, I mean, those are plenty enough and maybe everything flows from those, but maybe if, you have, if there's a couple others, then I want to talk to you about how can we turn it around and how do you ask a pastor to turn it around, but tell them, yeah, you're going to be pushing that boulder up the hill and it's all uphill. There's not a top and you roll down the other side. It's just all uphill. Deal with it. Stop whining. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I, so we'll get to I know, that. You know, when you say what's, what's another reason Jeff, I mean, I, I think of two that are real similar. One is the the culture we live in today. What has happened is if you love someone who is different than you are, if you show respect and empathy to someone who is different than you, you are attacked for it. That is not seen as being Christ-like. That's seen as you're you're condoning their choices, you're condoning their lifestyle or their sin. You should be calling it out. And again, Jesus, we call ourselves followers of Jesus. Jesus is my example. And Jesus was referred to as a friend of sinners. 
I, I preach and teach from the New Living Translation, and a phrase it uses in Luke is that Jesus was having dinner with a group of notorious sinners. Hmm. Yeah. And Jesus had no problem loving sinners, but being holy. But today what we do is if I am not condemning someone because of their lifestyle or their choices or their political views, then I'm seen as condoning that. And we just got to get to the place where we, we love the people around us who are different. Jesus showed love to people. Jesus showed empathy to people. And he did that and never sinned and never lost his holiness. And we've allowed politics to dictate to us that we need to always stand against and fight against the darkness in the world. And Jesus was all about loving people and building relationships with people and treating people with dignity and respect. And that opened the door, that relationship that he built with people gave him the opportunity then to speak about the stuff that was really important. Salvation. And, you know, that's what, that's the model Jesus built for us. But, you know, we don't do that today because it's messy. So here we are at church talking about God's standard for living. And it's hard if the church is constantly firing at people who are not living up to Bible standards, because those are the people who need Jesus and they don't want to come in. But we've already skewered them. We have. Listen, yeah. don't take my, don't, don't believe me. You know, Barna and all other Pew, all these other organizations do research and look at what year after year after year, they consistently go up to non-churched, non-Christian people in America. And they say, tell us what you think of when you hear the word Christian or when you hear the term churchgoer. And at the top of the list is someone who is anti-gay people, someone who is judgmental, and someone who condemns. Those aren't my words. Those are researchers have been doing that for years. And that's the reputation a church has with outsiders. And, and I just say, you know what? Jesus didn't have that reaction from outsiders. Jesus drew a crowd. Jesus was invited to the parties. Jesus ate meals with them. And we've come so far, we don't do that. And we've separated ourselves from those people. Or we allow politics to divide us. You know, how, how many of our churches across America are so neatly divided into Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. We, are, we find more identity in politics, many of us as Christians, than we do Jesus. And it's a shame. And, and it's a shame. It just, and it divides people. And Jesus's prayer for us in the garden the night he was taken the Bible only records one prayer that Jesus prayed for us today. Everyone listening to your podcast, if they're a believer, Jesus prayed for them. And the one thing Jesus prayed for and asked was that we would be unified because our unity would show to the world that Jesus was really who he said he was. And Satan has destroyed unity. Why are so many of our churches across America 
white or black or Latino or Asian? Why is it so few churches are truly diverse? Where's the diversity? Not just racial diversity. Where's the political diversity? Where, where is that? Because it's the unity that we have in Christ that shows the world that Jesus is real. That's what becomes attractive to the outside world. So it's the whole, we've made an idol out of politics. We've made an idol out of being around people who think like me and vote like me. And when someone from the outside looks at a church that is predominantly on the right or the left, then they feel like an outsider. It's things like that that the church gets passionate about. And every four years when presidential elections come up, it's amazing how candidates find themselves in churches, both on the, on the Democratic side and the Republican side. And why would we want to identify ourselves with a political party? Why, don't, why isn't it enough to identify ourselves with Jesus and say, I always tell our people, you can be passionate about the Republican side or the Democratic side. You can be passionate about the liberal side or the conservative side or the independent middle of the road side, as long as you're more passionate about Jesus. But for too many of us, Jesus isn't enough today. And so our churches that focus on keeping Christians have added on this whole other side where a significant part of our identity is found outside of Jesus. It's through politics or through social causes. And in our day and age today, it's so divisive that the unchurched around you, when you clearly identify yourself with one of them, you're, you're, you're cutting yourself off from 50% of the people who are outsiders. And that's just so not what Jesus did. I'm not speaking because you're just saying it all. And if I talk, I'm just going to say, say, no, so say some of the same stuff, but, but Rob, that's, yeah, that's, and that's something that as pastors, we, we really have to think about. And I, I've said this recently on one of the daily um, episodes that we we really do have to talk to our church, especially our leaders in 2022, before we get to 2023 and 24. But we need to be prepared. We need to know how we're going to show up as a church. We need to know what our what our principles are, what our values are, what our mission is and not be pulled and sucked into the no. vortex of political garbage. No. Because you're right, this does need to be about Jesus and his heart and passion for our community and not a politician's heart and passion yeah. for the community. Listen, Pop, Jeff, you know me. We go back to our earliest days. You and I could both be called political junkies. Yeah. Right? We, we love politics. Yeah. We follow Maybe just a little bit. Yeah, we followed politics we, for decades, and it's true of both of us. But why would I ever want people to identify me because of my political affiliation instead of my affiliation to Jesus? I don't understand that. I don't understand that. I don't understand why we get more passionate about politics than we do about Jesus. We put bumper stickers on our car. We put placards on our lawn. We have flags that we put on our car. And we are not even scared about offending people 
who think differently than us politically that are lost and going to hell. And we don't care because we are so passionate about politics. We want everybody to know where we stand politically. And Jesus said his mission was to seek and save the lost. And my question is, when someone does that at my church, I ask them, how is that helping you accomplish your mission of reaching the lost? How is that helping us as a church to accomplish our mission of making our part of Philadelphia the hardest place to die and go to hell from in the entire world? How's that helping us? It's not that you can't be passionate about politics. Don't forget your mission. Politics divides. We've seen it. We've seen it in spades over the last few years. We've seen it. And listen, good things come from politics, but we're we're not going to change. Ultimately, our mission is seek and save the lost. Too many of us, we've We've, we we add stuff to the mission, and it just it, we live in such a divisive day, and then we wonder yeah. why people aren't coming in for an Easter service, or you know people aren't coming into church when we put placards on our church lawns, and we it just we're alienating people. We've never lived in a more divisive time. Listen, I I'm pushing sixty. And in my life, Jeff, I know that you and I are similar in age. I don't know that I could ever remember a time we've been more divided. And I know people tell me about, you know, the Vietnam era in the late 60s, early 70s. I don't remember that time. The stuff I can remember, we've never been more divided. And it's not just in society. We've never been more divided in the church. What is going on with us? What are we doing? Why are we sniping at each other? Why are we divided from each other? For politics? For a politician? That's nonsense. We're letting the world around us shape us into its mold, right? No, exactly. But listen, politics stands for some important things. I get that. But do not let it divide the church. When Jesus's prayer for us is that we would be unified and through our unity, we would show the world that Jesus really was the Son of God. And, he, and I tell my church, the only reason we need unity is because we disagree. If we all agree politically, if we all voted alike, there's no need for unity. But the only reason Jesus prayed that we would be unified is he knew we would disagree. Look at the disagreement amongst his group of 12. Look at all the times they argued. He had 12 that's why Jesus prayed for unity. We got to set that other stuff aside. So these these are the reasons, okay? These are, these are really bad reasons, but a good explanation of why churches are not attracting. You know, you just talked about unity in the church, and we're talking in the context, kind of, of just in the buildings themselves. You know, just the different little churches. Right. They're not even unified. But right. more and more, I'm thinking and talking to other pastors about how in any given community, our community is only 15,000 people. And I don't know how many churches we've got, 30, 40 different churches in our community. And in the community, we don't recognize the other buildings as this part of the body of Christ. Part of the right, body right. of Christ resides in each of our buildings. So right. uh, for a long time, we've not been able to find unity 
across the body of Christ because we've divided ourselves into denominations and buildings in town when there's really, I keep saying this, you know, this is the boulder uphill for me. There's only one church in my town. Right. There's only Listen, one and church. Den- denominations are great and political parties do some good things. So I'm not asking people to, to lose all of that. No, but do not love a political party or a denomination more than you love Jesus. And, and what I challenge our people about is anything that divides me from another Christian is an idol in my life and something I choose to love more than I love Jesus. Hmm. It's that simple. Yeah. And so denominations are great and different churches have different personalities and different denominations have different emphasis. All of that is fantastic. I have no problem with that. We can still be unified in all of that. And it's about focusing on Jesus and making him the most important thing and saying our mission and God's going to use us all in different ways, but our mission is the same. We're we're here to help Jesus seek and save the lost. And we can be unified around that. And one church could be active in this, and another church is active in that, and another church is busy doing that. God bless them. God bless you. But we can still be unified and love each other as Christians and be a testimony to your city that Jesus is real because here's all these different churches that are not bickering. We're not fighting with each other. We're unified, even though we're so different in so many ways. It's your church. What are the what are the values? You talked earlier about you mentioned you had four values. What what are the values and and how do they how do they help to create a place that is attractive to lost people? Or at least is not repulsive to lost people, right? Well, but you're trying right. to create an environment where lost people are are attracted to, or if they come in, they 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 get they get drawn in and not repelled. Well, you know, I, I shared our the first value that we that you'll hear me talk about is the most important person is the one who isn't here yet. Like you, you said when we were talking through, it does it rubs us the wrong way, and. That's exactly why I wanted the wording to be like that. I, I can remember years ago when we were coming up with the wording and people wanted to soften it. And I just said, I, I, no, it is. It's offensive. It is offensive. But it's okay. Isn't that our mission now? See, I, I, I just keep coming back to that. When Jesus said he, he came to seek and save the lost, when Jesus said it's, it's the sick who need the doctor, not the healthy, Jesus was saying the same thing. And we need to wrap our hearts and our minds around that. So it's, you know, we say the most important person is the one who's in here yet. We say diversity is beautiful. We want our church to represent. We're in Philadelphia. We want our church to represent the people of Philadelphia in all of its diversity. We want the church to represent that. It stretches us. It's hard. But we don't want to be a place where everybody looks alike, thinks alike, votes alike, lives in the same zip code. So we were constantly talking about how beautiful true diversity is. And it's we're not asking everybody to blend in and be together. No, be who you are culturally, be who God made you to be, right? We look different and there's all sorts of different nationalities in, in my part of the city. And we can come together because of Jesus. A, a third one is, change is a good thing. And we have two reasons for that. You know, we're always talking about life change is important. We need to grow. We need to be growing as Christians. 
So our lives should be changing. So change is a good thing. And another way that we talk about change is a good thing is our methods as a church need to change. See, if you're focusing on reaching the lost, culture is constantly changing. Your methods need to change. What, what you did five years ago doesn't work anymore. It just doesn't work. We're constantly reevaluating how we do what we do. And we're constantly tweaking things and changing things. Not to be hip, not to be cool. We don't want to be the, the cool, cutting-edge church. That's, that's not what it's about. But I always tell our people, show me a better way to connect and show people Jesus in the culture that we live in, and we'll do it. So change is a good thing. And then the fourth one is that we're better together. Don't do life alone. You can't do life as a, as a lone ranger. We need to be connected to other believers who are going to strengthen us and sharpen us. You know, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. We all need that. And those, those are the four values that we have. And then there's a, there's a statement we go by. And again, this isn't original to me. I, I, I forget where we got it from. It's something we've been using for years. But we say that we want Bethel to be a place where everyone feels like they belong before they believe and long before they behave. So we want Bethel to be a place where everyone feels like they belong before they believe and long before they behave. And so we want to love people. And people come in who don't know how to act in church and they, we just welcome them. We want to love them. We don't want them to stand out. We don't want them to feel like they don't belong. So everything we do is about welcoming people in from how we dress, from the signs we put up in our church, everything, so that an outsider can come in and feel like I'm not the only one around here who doesn't know the secret handshake mm. and they don't feel like yeah. they stick out. So the terminology that we use, I told you I teach from the New Living Translation, and I, I switched to that several years back because of the ease that people can understand that translation. Yeah. And Christians are welcome to use whatever translation they want. God bless them. And they come into church and they'll flip through, you know, whether whatever translation. But it's the unsaved person who doesn't bring a Bible in with them. And so when I put scripture up on a screen, I want to be a, I want it to be a translation that is easy for them to understand. Because it's the word of God is is sharper than a two-edged sword. So if we present the word of God in a way that they understand, God's got the ability to start cutting their soul, cutting their heart, and making them realize the truth. That's why we say change is a good thing. Um, we're always going to evaluate what we do, and we're better together. We can't do life alone. It's too hard. And those are our, our values. Rob, tell me, give me a story about somebody whose life has been changed. Somebody who came in, and because of the way, like you said, the signs you have, how you dress, the words you use, they didn't feel like, oh, yeah, I'm in a church. You know, the walls are going to cave in because I came into the church. Everything is so pristine and holy and sanctified and different here, and I don't fit. Just just give me a story. I, when, when I was at your church last October um, and talked with some of the folks afterwards, 
you know, I, uh, there were so many different people that said, yeah, I've been coming here for six years. I've been coming here for eight years. I've been coming here for 13 years. And they would, they would tell me their story. And I just, you know, being who I am, I wanted to get my phone out and push record and start documenting these, these stories because stories are what grip our hearts and, and yeah. motivate yeah. us and inspire oh, us. Right. That this actually happens with real people and real people's lives have been changed. So it does. And, 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 and that's why several, I will, but several years ago, what we started doing was we actually have a video segment that we use and, and we're, we're going to get ready to post all of these on our YouTube channel so that people can go back and, and look at them. But we, we do what we call Bethel stories Yeah, where yeah. we just invite people to sit down in front of a camera and they tell their story. And then we show in a service because people's stories are powerful and we want our people to see stories of life change. So when a Christian who comes to Bethel is giving faithfully, tithing, serving, you know, on Easter, we did two services and, and I pleaded with our people, we're not going to do a third service. We didn't have the volunteers to do it. Hey, would you please, our church comes to, to the late service. We do a 930 and, a, and an 11. And I said, please help us. There's a huge disparity between the two services attendance-wise. And I said, we know people are going to come to the 11 o'clock on, on Easter. People who don't typically come, would you please come to the early service on Easter? We had hundreds of people who just for one Sunday switched. And mm-hmm. that gave us the ability at 11 o'clock to max our auditorium out. We literally yeah. had mm-hmm. almost no seats open in the auditorium. And it was so many new people. And so we thank them for that. We're always saying thank you. And the stories remind them that this is why you're giving and this is why you're serving and this is why you're giving up your seat in the 11 o'clock service and going to the earlier service. And so that's why we do it. And so I'd recommend for other churches to do that. But, you know, Jeff, you know, there's there's a million stories. I, I think of one guy who stopped me after one of the services that we did. Um, after the service, I'm out in the lobby and I'm talking to people and he came up to me and introduced himself. And I always ask people, you know, how long have you been here and how do you find out about us? Those are my two go-to questions. And he said, this is my first time here. I said, how do you find out about us? And he got quiet and said, um, a friend in prison told me about Bethel. I said, I said, awesome. I said, I said, that's awesome. I said, so what brings you out today? He said, um, I was just released from prison, sent to a halfway house. And my friend told me that I would be welcome at Bethel. Hmm. And that's why I came. And I said, you're welcome here. I said, tell me your story. He told me his, his story. He's, he's, a, he's a convicted felon. And he was very ashamed of being a convicted felon. And so when I said to him, put my arm around him, and I said, you're welcome here. And I said, is it okay if I introduce you to other people who are here? He said, sure. So I I pulled three guys over, guys that I knew had given their lives to Jesus at Bethel, guys that I knew God's starting to grow them as men. Some are husbands, some are dads, and every single one of them that I introduced him to was a felon. And I pulled one guy over, introduced him, and I said, this is so-and-so. He's a friend of mine. He's been at Bethel for X amount of time. 
He's a convicted felon. And I said, I want you to meet so-and-so. He just was released from prison. He's a felon and he's starting a spiritual journey. Every single guy gave him a handshake. One guy gave him a hug. The last guy I called over, you've met before. And I said, this is a good guy. And I said, he's not a convicted felon. He's a convicted three-time felon. Hmm. And I want you to meet him. I want you to get his number. He's a good guy. God's helping him. He's, he's, he's growing as a husband. He's growing as a dad. And I said, if God's done that to these guys who are all here that you just met, why can't God do that to you? And, and to me, Jeff, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. People come in and they're broken. They're scarred in all sorts of ways. And they're looking, they're looking for a safe place. They're looking for a place where they can just experience what it feels like to be loved by Jesus. That's what we're about. And when you give people that place, God does the rest. Jesus, you know, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. God wants them saved more than we do. And I always say, let's create a safe place for people to come in who are unsaved. And let's, let, let's just get out of the way and let God do what he wants to do in their life. And that's just loving people and creating that welcoming place. You'll be amazed at what God does. You will be. And Jeff, we've had this conversation over the years. Yeah. When you purpose to make your, your church that safe place for people, God starts sending people in because I'm convinced God's looking for churches that he knows he can entrust those people to, where they're going to be loved. They're going to be accepted. It's messy. It's challenging in so many ways, but it's worth it. It really is I, worth it. I've often said that if we don't take care of the people we have, why would God send us more? Right. And if, if we're, if we're going to take care of the people that show up and the ones that are in difficult situations, then yet, like you said, God will entrust us with more. We had, uh, one of our, one of our people was at work and a coworker came up and said, I and my same sex spouse, uh, were wondering if we showed up at your church, would we be welcome? Because our kids really want to go to church, and they know people, they know kids in your church, they really want to come to youth group, and they've they've been coming, but now they really want to come to church. Would we be welcome? And I'm sitting and listening to this, and I'm like, I don't know what this person's going to say. And they said, and I told them, yes, you would be 100% welcome at our church. So they've been coming. And, yeah. uh, I could give details, but I won't, but, yeah. uh, yeah. Do I know what to do? Do I know exactly how to handle things? Um, here's what I know. Here's, here's what I know for certain. God wants us to love them. And yeah. I see those kids come in and, uh, and I won't say how many kids there are, but there's, there's not one or two. And when they come in, I say to myself, what kind of a pastor would, tell a family, a family that I may not, you know, define the way I'd like it to be defined. But how do you tell a family with their children, yeah, you can't come and learn about God because we're too holy here and we can't be soiled and we can't waste our time loving people like you. You know, it's it's, uh, it's not even close. Um, And yet so many churches, I think, probably would not do well 
with a family like that coming in. Um, and uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully our church does well. So far, been about three or four months. Uh, so far, so good. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what I'm doing through all of this stuff. You know, there's some things that we just haven't faced before as a church, but but I do know that we have to love people. Oh, and as you said, Rob, the Holy Spirit is the one who saves. The Holy Spirit yeah. is the one who's going to do the work. We're not right. we're we're not going to save them one way or another anyway. We yeah. just provide we just provide the place, the family, the uh, the love, the care, the people of God. And then, and then we allow the Holy Spirit to convict and to grow That's right. and to transform. That's right. Does and it transforming you, anyway. Exactly. And you loving that couple or any other individual who walks into your church does not mean that you have to agree with their choices or condone their choices. It simply means you are doing what Jesus asked you to do, is to love someone. And when the Bible says that, you know, three things remain, hope, faith, and love, and the greatest of these is love. We should be known for loving people. It doesn't mean we condone. It doesn't mean we agree with. Just love people. Because when you do that, you're giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work. I always tell people, I want people. I want messy people in our services. Because when God shows up in our service and people are worshiping and they look around the room and they see that the Holy Spirit is there and that people are truly engaged in worship and we try to make our teaching very relevant and, and so it's, people can understand it, even unchurched people. And when they're able to start hearing biblical principles and, and they're sitting in an environment where there's other people around them trying to engage with it, and we're praying and asking the Holy Spirit to move and convict and change people's hearts and minds, they're putting themselves in a place where God is at work. Why would we want to exclude them from that? Mm, yeah, That's where we want them. We want them there. But so many of us as churches are excluding people because they don't fit the criteria of what we think, well, this is who we're going after. This is who we really welcome. Because what doing what you said, Jeff, is messy. It's complicated. No one ever gets it right. Jesus is the only one who loved right every single time. None of us will ever get it right. But I always encourage pastors, keep loving, keep loving, keep loving. It's messy. We're going to get it wrong at times. And when we get it wrong, we confess to God and we thank him for the forgiveness and he cleanses us and we keep moving forward. But keep choosing to love people because when you see God get a hold of someone's life, that's when true transformation takes place. And to me, that's why you do what you do. You love people, you bring in people and your church starts to look messy after a while because there's a lot of non-traditional church people who are coming in and it does, it starts to get complicated and it's messy. But when you start seeing the lives being transformed by God, that's the payday right there. So listen, mm -hmm. our church has never been one with huge budgets. Our church is never one with tons of big givers. It's just not who we are. But the greatest payday for me as a pastor at Bethel over these 25 plus years are all of those transformed lives. That's the payoff. That to me is worth it. That's why we yeah. do what we do as a church. Awesome. Rob, thank you.
Pastor, thank you so much for listening to this weekend edition. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Rob. Uh, I, I can't tell you what it means to me to have a friend like this. It's he's been a blessing uh, all of my all of my adult life. I mean, all of my adult life, I've known him. Uh, we have had so many experiences together, and I'm thankful that he's come on really to challenge us, to challenge us as pastors to align our vision and our mission with the vision and mission of Jesus. Because I don't want to be a pastor who leads a church that runs afoul of what Jesus' mission is for the church, to seek and to save the lost. So, Pastor, the reason why, the reason why, personally, I do this podcast is because I know that if I if I can make you better, if I can pour some things into you and build into you, and if I can cause you to be a more effective pastor, I know that there's a lot of people that I will never meet and never see that will be blessed because of it. And that gives me hope. And that gives me a reason to sit down in the evenings and on the, on the weekend, on my day off, to sit down behind this desk and do what I'm doing. It is, after my local church ministry, one of my greatest passions in life is to build into other pastors because I understand how hard it is. I've been at this for 35 years. It is hard. And I wish there were there were pastors that were building into me in those early years. And now, if I can do that now, if I can do that and find guys like Rob who will challenge us and spur us on, to be better, to be closer to God and tap into his power and align ourselves with his mission. That's exactly what I want to do. So thanks for listening today. Thanks for listening today. Now that now that you've listened to this episode, I know Rob is intense, so why don't you go ahead and take the rest of the day off? And I'll see you on the next episode of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. So there you go, my friend. If you're not subscribed, open up your podcast app, search for Coaching for Pastors, and subscribe, and you're going to get an episode dropped into your feed every single day of the week except for Sunday. Because, you know, Sunday, that that's your day. That's your day to provide an episode to your people. So, hey, thanks so much. This has been the 200 Churches Podcast, promoing the Coaching for Pastors podcast. We'll see you next time for the next episode of the 200 Churches podcast.